if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to go ahead and take them and turn to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. Well, a few words of introduction. In the world, it's easy to lose sight of who we are and where we belong. If you glance across the actions of this past week, you can see that you yourself, and I can see that I myself, struggle to remember who we are and to where we actually are supposed to be. You can ask it, you can see it just by a few questions. Uh, you can see, uh, if you ask, why did you say that thing you said this week? What provoked you? What, what, uh, why, why, why were you upset over this or that? What, what brings about your emotions and your reactions in your life? What is it that you value? What is it that you get upset about? And if you start asking questions like these, or even the general question, whom do you seek to please today? If you ask questions like these, you begin to say, well, I'm very insecure about who I am. I'm not sure where I'm going. I'm not sure why I'm living for this object or that thing, or this has become so valuable to me. We live in a world that's just confused about who we are, where we belong, and where we're going. But these questions are answered if you ask who are you and where do you belong. It's answered in the very beginning of your Bible, which we'll see today. It's answered in Genesis 2. We learn about our identity and who we were made to be and where we were made to belong. As God proclaims to Adam what, where his value is possessed and for the place for which he was made. And in our passage today, I hope you can see the things that, yes, were lost at the fall, but regained in Christ, the greater Adam. And so um, today we're not going to cover 2 through 4 through 14. We're going to try to cover 2, 4 through verse 8. And then we'll pick up Eden next week. And aren't you excited? Um, but let me pray, and then we're going to read... Um, we'll read chapter 2, verses 4 through verse 9, and then we'll pick up the rest next week. But let me pray for us. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, this is your word. Your word is truth, and we pray in a world of lies, come and embolden this truth upon our eyeballs, that we might live and move and do all that we do, According to this word here, we pray, come and work in us by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 4. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pay careful attention to it. Moses writes, These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens... When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land, and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, 
in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Amen. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of God endures forever. May you write its truth on our hearts. Well, brothers and sisters, today I have a proposition and two points for you. Unexpected. But they're printed in your bulletin for you. The proposition, we are to consider carefully. Consider carefully how you were made. And consider carefully the place that was made for you. Consider carefully how you were made. And consider carefully the place that was made for you. See how Moses begins, we are to consider carefully how you were made. See what Moses says in verse 4 of Genesis 2. He says, These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now, as we come into this passage, critics come from every standpoint. We have just finished Genesis chapter 1, and in Genesis 1, he's given us a chronological viewpoint of the creation of the cosmos. The heavens and the earth created in six days, and the seventh day, the first three verses of Genesis 2, God rests. And immediately after the chronological recounting of the seven days, we enter in upon, if you will, the flipping of a telescope. We go from looking at the broad view to flipping the telescope to looking at the microscopic view. We go from looking at the the great scenes of creation in widespread language to creation particularly in the sixth day. The Lord, as it were, zooms the microscope for you to see something particular here. Now, something that's extremely helpful to understand is the fourth word in verse 4. I mentioned it because it was in our scripture reading. The fourth word is, these are the generations. It occurs 13 times in the book of Genesis, and whenever it occurs, it is intended to summarize or introduce sections, and sometimes both. And actually, strictly speaking, in Genesis, when this word is used, it occurs to introduce descendants. Isn't that peculiar? And what you have in Genesis 2 is the man and the woman at the end of Genesis 2 from whom the whole human race proceeds. And isn't it fitting that this word occurs, the generations, and he zooms upon the creation of the man from whom all generations will proceed. Here it's coming to introduce one of the most important topics for you and I especially in our day, but, but always important to understand how did God create man? You, you're good Presbyterians. You know the catechism. God created man, male and female, after his own image, in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness, with dominion over the creatures, which we all see in this chapter. But before we go any further... I just want you to know, Genesis chapter 2 is a chapter of firsts. Obviously, it is the second chapter in the Bible, but it's a chapter of firsts, if you will. 
And one peculiar thing in verse 4, and I want to see if you saw it, is that God's name, for the first time, is explicitly stated. He says, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that who? That the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, the divine name given for the first time in relation with the creation of man. Now, what does the divine name mean? Exodus 3, we all know Moses, God appears to Moses at the burning bush, right? And God reveals His name, the Lord, Yahweh. And He reveals His name as the one who is and has always been and will always be. His name literally means the one who always is. Immutable, consistent, self-sufficient in all of His being. But more than that, and we see this in Christ, the divine name is the promise of the divine presence. What is Jesus' name? Emmanuel. God with us. The Lord and His name is an in the first instance it's ever used is tied with the creation of man. And brothers and sisters, I want you to grasp this. God reveals Himself. And I want you to get the imponderable thought to you. And He gives His name you. It is quite a different thing, and this is thoroughly debated, I'm not getting into politics here. It is quite a different thing if I meet the president and I say, hello, Mr. President, it's good to meet you, and, and he tells me, he's like, don't call me Mr. President, call me George, right? What, why? It, it's how he relates to you. He is, he's, he's officially considering you not simply from a superior standpoint, but a relational standpoint. I want you to know the Lord gives His name to people and really them alone. A distinct relationship in how He relates to men. What does He say? Genesis 1, 26, we've already seen it. Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And God comes and He relates to man in a peculiar way. And we ultimately see this in the gospel, don't we? That God in the gospel has come not only to restore us and to redeem us, but to bring us to where relationally we know His name. What is this? Jesus says in John 17, verse 3, This is eternal life, that they know you, the true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. What is life? It is to know Him. And it is the great benefit that He reveals first in the creation of man, to be known. Now, back in the text. In verses 5 and 6, God summarizes and introduces the section. Verse 5, 
when no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land. They were there, just not sprung up. And there was no man to work the ground. And the midst was going up from the land, was watering the whole face of the ground. Now, in verses 5 and 6, Moses is not denying what he just said in chapter 1, right? He's not saying that, you know, all life hadn't existed yet and God hadn't formed the universe in those first six days. And, you know, those, well, six, day six right now. But those first three days he didn't form the, the form and then fill the void, right? He's not saying that. But what he's getting at is Moses wants you to grasp the, the significance of the matter. Everything else is fading away in Genesis chapter 2 as the apex of creation is rising from the scriptures. The apex of creation, the, the part of the story you and I need to understand is that this, this man whom he's about to form from, from dirt, from dust, is key. He's key to everything God is about to do in this book. Adam is going to picture another Adam. Eden is going to picture another Eden. And all these things are pointing to greater realities. And what God wants us to grab is that it goes from chronological sequence to topical sequence in chapter 2. And he goes from recounting the creation of the heavens and the earth to recounting peculiarly the creation of man and who he is. Now as those who are descended from Adam, this is extremely significant for you. And I want you to grasp how God made man, verse 7. In verse 7 it says, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Did you grab the significance of the change here? In the six days of creation, what does God do? God said, God said, God said. But notice the change in verb here, and it's really important for you. Then the Lord God, the divine name given, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, and it says the verb, formed. It is the verb yitzar, which actually is the verbal root that comes from the nounal root. And the nounal root, and you'll be not surprised by this, is a potter. And it is the idea, and the first time it happens in the scripture, where God is depicted as a potter forming man of dirt. And can you picture it? That he takes the dirt and he puts it on the wheel and he forms the man. different from every other creature which God calls and they come into being. Adam's name itself is taken from the Hebrew word which is ground. His very name depicts where he was taken from. We say it, it's in the front of my Bible for funerals. As it please our sovereign and heavenly father to take to himself the Dear beloved brother or sister, we now commit their body, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, in the sure and certain hope of the resurrection from the dead, when Christ shall come. We were taken from the ground. And I want you to grasp, he's just said that he's going to make them in his own image and after his own likeness. 
That's nobility, isn't it? It's superiority to everything else in all of creation. But just in case you thought to get a big head because you, in God's grace and mercy to you, were made in His likeness and knowledge, righteousness, and holiness, He first tells you this in verse 7. You were taken from dirt. In case you thought, I could get big on this. I could, I could have a huge ego. John Calvin on this. I just, you got to love, sometimes he's just pointed. He said, let foolish men now go and boast of the excellency of their nature, taken from the dirt. He said, concerning other animals, it had before been said, let the earth produce every living creature. But on the other hand, the body of Adam is formed of clay and destitute of sense to the end that no one should exalt beyond measure in his flesh. He must be excessively stupid who does not hence learn humility. I want you to consider where God took you from. We are not special in and of ourselves. And we ought not think great thoughts about ourselves. We are dirt. But, that's the humbling part of this. But hear the grace of God to you. In verse 7, He formed the man of the dust of the ground. And in this phrase, And breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. Where is your value found? Where do you find the totality of who you are? It is not found in how our dust looks, no matter what our culture and social media is put out. Ultimately, as Solomon says, beauty is fading and fleeting. But where is your value found? I want you to get this phrase. He breathed into his nostrils, what, the breath of life, with the result that the man became a living creature. Lovely things about God that are taken from this. God is so full of life that He gives life to everything in the world. The breath you take this moment is from Him. And it should return to Him. You are not made and exist of, in, and through yourself. We are made and we exist of through and in Him. What does Paul say in Areopagus? In Him we move and have our being. The word in your English Bible, living creature, it comes from a Hebrew phrase, anephesh hayah, which is a living soul. That God would make, and I want you to grasp, Adam is about to dwell in a physical Eden. Where, where, both, where both the physical and the spiritual are together. Where God walks in the midst of the cool of the day. Where angels dwell. Where it's not uncommon for the serpent to be. And here, Adam, physical and spiritual in his being. Both body and soul is to exist in this place. 
There are three gradations to be noted about man. His, his dead body was formed of the dust. It was endued with a soul. And upon man's soul, God engraved his image. Why do you know right from wrong? How, why, why, why is right right, wrong wrong, white light, dark dark? It's because he's in... He's imprinted His image upon you. It's not a fabrication of our culture. It is written upon the soul of men. And you have to love this. You and I have value because of what what God has given to us. We have value because we are made, as this passage says, as the previous in chapter 1, verse 26 says, we are made in His image. And after his likeness. And as he's going to go on to apply it, Moses will apply it in chapter 9, verse 6, when he says uh, the value of that image and how no man should take life. Now, I'm sure you remember that the Apostle Paul actually quotes this passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 45. It could be a footnote um, in your Bible. But there's a contrast between the first Adam and the last Adam. I want you to see that Adam in our passage in verse 7, he is simply, simply a recipient of life. He, he did nothing to receive it. He was simply given it. Isn't that lovely? But it says of Jesus in 1 Corinthians 15, after that relating to his resurrection, that Jesus became a life-giving spirit. Adam's first state here was not a position of giving life, but was simply a need of life. And we need a greater Adam. We need an Adam whose life exists in and of himself and who can impart that life to us. Because as we learn, we lost everything in this Adam. The life that was given even to him and his soul became death. He's cast out of Eden, the place which is about to be made for him. And you yourself, all of us long to be back in Eden. It is in the heart of every single person in this room. We have the desires that there would not be all the things that the fall has produced, all the pain and the sorrow and the death that are in this world. We have have the desire that we would flourish in our souls. We long to be back where God's presence is as common as the air you breathe. And you long for the second Adam. You long for the resurrected Christ who, when He rose from the dead, did exactly what God does does here. He breathed upon His disciples. Receive the Holy Spirit. And he tells his disciples that I, if I go away, I go to prepare, what? A place for you. The one who not only restores, ransom, reconciled, forgiven, but also goes and gives you a home in heaven. We long for this greater Adam who restores us. The good news is that Jesus in and of himself has life. 
He says it so many times in the gospel. He says, I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. As John clearly points out in his gospel, in him was life. Christ brings life to all who believe on him. Isn't it encouraging? God made you, yes, from humble beginnings, but imprinted a great image upon you. You were made for righteousness, holiness. You were made to resemble your maker. Don't turn away from the things you were made for. I want you to consider carefully how you were made. I want you to consider carefully the place that was made for you. And we'll do this quickly. Verse 8. And the Lord God planted a garden at Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Now I want you to see, the Lord now makes the condition or the place of living which man was to be. And what a happy and pleasant habitation, isn't it? When God, there is a a uniqueness to this garden in Eden. It'll be referred, so unique in fact, it's referred to throughout the rest of Scripture. And, and you can get the, the hints and the smell of Eden in so many passages in Scripture. In fact, it's engraved upon our hearts. But this is the place where all is at peace. Where God dwells in your midst. Where you dwell with a happy company. If you're recalling chapter 1, there is a reversal of the order here. In chapter 1, God first forms the place where everything is to dwell, and then he forms what is to dwell in there, and he puts it in there. But here in Genesis 2, he forms the man who is to fill it, and then he forms the place. Why? Because man is preeminent in this. In, In this place, he is to dwell. Man is not only preceding the place, he is to inhabit the place. He's responsible for the place. But we learn he can also lose his habitation in this place. That's the conditional covenant that we'll come up on maybe next week. But let me just, a few notes and then we'll close. Why is it called a garden? Why is it called a garden? It's called a garden because of the elegance uh, of its situation. The beauty of its form. The king of kings here is setting the, his vice-regent, as it were, the, 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 the new king to tend his garden full of all and good and wondrous things. I want you to consider for a moment, isn't it wonderful that God made a home for Adam? He didn't just plop him in the world and tell him to go find a tree to make a house in. But God made a home for him. Uh, the Greek word here is, for Eden is paradise. You know where the English word comes from now. Uh, and this paradise would ultimately be lost in Adam at the close of the next chapter. But it was regained by Jesus at the cross. Do you remember what he said to the thief? Luke 23, 43, Today you will be with me in paradise. When Christ gives himself the greater Adam, the second Adam on that cross, the life-giving spirit, he then echoes forth, the recreation of men, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 24, and he also brings us to God in heaven. In Christ, we are not only restored, 
But we are given coming week, we'll pick up this Edenic narrative. But for the present, let us just observe this. You are made to dwell here. You are made to be in the place where God is all in all. And if you continue to try to fill your life with things to replace this place, you're going to be left empty. God tells you of the place where He dwells, and He inadvertently calls you to Himself. If you try to make your own Eden, it's going to be hopeless. If you just survey the generations, it is a hopeless task. But the good news, the praise of Christ, it is offered to you. Christ has reclaimed paradise. And in Christ, He offers it to you free and full. So brothers and sisters, let us consider carefully how you were made and the place that was made for you. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for our Savior, the Lord Jesus. We do pray that you would cause us to see, trust, and hold fast to our Savior who has made us new in His own image and has made a place for us in heaven with you. We do pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.